Welcome to NHL Draft Class presented by Adidas. I'm Adam Kimmelman here with Mike Moriel. Adam, we're good to go. It's been a productive week here in Buffalo. Yes, we are here in Suite 33 at KeyBank Center in Buffalo for the NHL Scouting Combine. The players are making their way around the building, talking to NHL teams, doing their interviews. A lot of guys walking around in, in suits and their Adidas golf shirts. We have talked to a number of the top prospects. We have talked to a number of the scouts. But, Mike, one player who isn't here who's got a lot of headlines is Capo Caco. You had a chance to talk to his agent and find out what the story is. Yeah, so Capo Caco did not, is not attending the Combine. And reason being is they won the gold medal, obviously, against Canada on May 26th, Sunday. And Capo decided he was going to take part in the celebration, the gold medal celebration which uh, began on Monday, the 27th. 40,000 people in the big park in Helsinki, Finland over there, Adam, and including the Finland president was present, and, and Kako was a part of that. His agent, Mike Liut, North American agent Mike Liut, I should say, did tell me that, you know, Capo wasn't skipping the combine, but this celebration and being a part in this celebration with all his teammates family and friends who participated in the events all this week prevented him from coming to the combine. So you got to, I guess we can give him a little bit of a break. You know, how often do you get a chance to celebrate a world, you know, a world championship? And let's face it, Adam, the world championship in Finland and a lot of those European countries to win the world championship is almost like the Stanley Cup uh, for them. It's a huge deal. I don't think you're right. I don't think we in North America understand how big a deal it is for a European country to win the world championship. It is their Stanley Cup. It's everything. And in a country of five million people that they are in Finland, what, three million people were watching the championship game? So those numbers are astronomical. So he's an 18-year-old kid. He wants to enjoy the celebration. He was a huge part of them winning. So, uh, yeah, it's a long way to come, to come all the way from, you know, Slovakia to Finland to Buffalo for the Combine to then come back in three weeks for the Van- for the draft in Vancouver. You know, that's a lot of wear and tear on a guy. And, you know, look, these guys need to train. They need to get in shape. They've got, you know, we're sitting here talking about the draft, but right after the draft they have development camps. They have rookie camps. Then they have training camp they got to get ready for. So, it's already a compact summer. Where are they going to train? When are they going to get their work in, which is really what's important. So, yeah, Capo could have come here, talked to the teams, worked out in front of the scouts, the same scouts who have seen him 25, 30 times throughout the season. In all honesty, if he's not going to come, I don't. you're right, I don't think we can bang the kid for, for not wanting to come here for this event. Look, any team that wanted to speak with Capo or wanted to interview him and know him as a person – is going to do that. They'll eventually do it. That's, I guess, the only the only thing as far as the media being here, having an opportunity to maybe talk to Capo. Maybe the media might be a little disappointed. But it is what it is. Any team that was might have Capo in their crosshairs at this draft is going to set an appointment with him, his agent, and they'll get around to it. But Capo wanted to celebrate with his line mates, his teammates, friends, relatives, and it's a it's a week long party there in Finland, so you can you can kind of understand where he's coming from. Right, and any team that does want to meet with him, whether it's I mean we've talked about him, you know, going number two to the New York Rangers, they can still meet with him. It's not like they can't talk to him between now and the draft. And teams will interview players right up until the morning of the draft. The only thing is they can't work them out, so that's fine. But so if they still want to get to know Capo Caco, they can still any time between whenever he's done partying in Helsinki. And the morning of June 21st, 
they're free to talk to him as many times as long as they want. So it's you're right. It would have as media, it would have been nice to to talk to him, to get to know him on that level, to talk to him about his game, his future, what he wants to do, where maybe he'd like to go. But we don't get to do that. Okay, so, you know, in the scheme of things, us being unhappy really isn't all that important. No, it, so. it isn't. Hey, it would have been nice to see, you know, see Jack Hughes and, and Capo, you know, go head-to-head as far as the testing goes, right? We always we always enjoy that part of For it. For sure, absolutely. Some of the top players, right? Yep. We've done that before. We've done stories on that. We've written about it. We've talked to the players afterwards. And just to hear what they have to say after going through the test, and particularly the bike tests, the Wingate test and the VO2 Max, it's always... Well, it's fun for us to watch. It's probably not so much fun for the player, but it is kind of neat, and we'll miss it, but we can, we can totally understand where, where Capocac was coming from. Right, but the guy who is everyone wants to talk about is Jack Hughes. We had the chance to talk to Jack. He came by our suite. Here's a portion of the interview we had with Jack. All right, Jack, so you're here at the NHL Scouting Combine. What, uh, what do you want to prove to the scouts here? Um, what's your goal? I don't think there's anything you got to prove, really. I think that uh, they've watched you play, play probably 25 times this year, and uh, I think now they're kind of just putting a face to the name and uh, getting to know you a little bit. So you're just coming back from the World Championship. You got to play with and against NHL players. Was that experience what you thought it would be? Was it more than you thought it would be? What's your biggest takeaway from it? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, I mean... Knowing what I know now, I would have done it 10 out of 10 times still. Um, just to be around those guys in the locker room, go out to dinner with them, hang out with them. Uh, I feel like it was I feel like it was an invaluable experience, and uh, it's kind of like going to Harvard Law School, I guess. I mean, that's the best education you can get, um, being around guys like that. Was there a guy or a couple of guys that really made it easier for you, that you were able to really learn from or made an impact on you? Yeah, I mean, all the guys were great. Every single guy there was a really good guy. I mean, and then you got guys like Suitsy, um, 14-year vet in the league. I mean, he's been in the same positions as me. Um, Kaner, I mean, Kaner, Van Riemsdyk, they took unbelievable care of me, taking me out to dinner, uh, talking to me, teaching me things. I mean, those are uh, those are guys that I kind of created relationships with that will be able to help me for the next couple of years. I know the head coach there was Jeff Blaschel, but the assistant coach was John Hines, who could be your coach in the NHL next season. What did you think of John Hines uh, as a coach and, you know, things that maybe he said that kind of stuck with you? Yeah, he was a, he's a really nice guy. I mean, he was, he was coaching the D, so I didn't talk to him that much. But uh, he, was, he seemed like a really good guy, and he seemed uh, like a really competitive guy too, which is – a really good coach to play for. So, I mean, if that ha- if it happens to be that, uh, I'd be really excited. How close were you to being a defenseman? Your Luke plays D, obviously Quinn plays D. Were you close at all to being a defenseman or no, it was forward um, for you all the time? Yeah, I think it was forward for me all the time. I think the only time I really played D was probably school hockey. I mean, for me, I think uh, all three of us played forward for a little bit. Our parents... Uh, it, they, they they thought it kind of enhanced our skills a little bit, um, taught us some things. So, I mean, they moved those two back so they felt like they could uh, see the game back there better and maybe have more success. But for me, I think I stuck with it because I was really good with it all the way up. So let's go back to September. You, you get ready for the NTTP season, and you have certain goals, certain things you want to accomplish in mind. Here we are now sitting at the scouting combine. 
what were your goals and how close did you come or did you meet them or did you surpass them? Um, I'd say I surpassed them for sure. I mean, you, uh, you want to be realistic before the year, but I, I, uh, I, I think of myself pretty high. So, I mean, I, I thought I had some goals in mind. Obviously I wanted to break the all time record, um, at the NTDP points. I, I did that. And then, uh, I kind of I kind of shattered it. Hopefully, no one will touch it for a lot of years. But um, another thing was, I wanted to get the single season. I didn't get that though. I uh, I think I missed 14 games this year. I mean, maybe maybe two more games I would have got it. I had 112, and the record was 117. So I mean, that would have been nice. But I mean, along the way, you don't really think of them like the the U18 ones or the most assists. You kind of just keep playing and. Uh, kind of try to just keep pushing your pace and keep pushing the play. The last time people really got a chance to see you against your peer group was the World Under 18s. What was that experience like for you? Obviously, you know, it's the international stage. It's something you've worked two years for. With, that's the big goal with the program. Yeah. To have the, not just have the tournament, but to dominate that tournament. Obviously, you didn't come home with the gold medal, but just from an individual perspective, how was that experience for you? Yeah, that was a uh, that was a pretty good sequence of games for me. Uh, obviously the main goal was, was to win, win gold. I mean, I trade all 20 of my points I had there for, for a gold medal, but, uh, I feel like I had a pretty good tournament, obviously called 14 goals. I think that tied Ovechkin's record. So, um, all in all, personally, it was a really good tournament for me and kind of just, uh, not put myself in a new category, but it really, it really showed how much my game popped over the last two years and how much, uh, better of a player I've become even from one U18 to the other I think I had 12 last year and to have 20 this year I mean that's a that's a big difference in playing the same amount of games if you can pinpoint a few things Jack how did the NTDP make you a better player um I mean first of all the NTDP makes you a better person you're 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 growing up with kids your own age 23 kids on the same team um dealing with the same things so I mean, it's it's kind of a brotherhood you create there. I think that's uh, you can't say that about many places. And uh, so NTP is an unbelievable spot to grow as a human. But uh, in in on the ice and in the in the gym, the things you can do there. I mean, if you if you want to be a hockey player and you dedicate your life to being a hockey player, then your game will absolutely go f- through the roof, and you'll kind of pop off. And I mean, you come in a boy and kind of leave a man. Your your game can take off. You got the shooting room there. You're on the ice two hours a day, two games a weekend. Uh, you're skating five, six, seven times a week, lifting three times. I mean, if you want to be a hockey player and and you're an American boy, that's that's the place you need to go. I know the draft is one thing, but you have to prove yourself once drafted. Um, what would it mean for you to be the number one pick in this draft, though? Yeah, it'd be special. That's that's a, that's been a dream of mine. Uh, for a lot of years, but I mean, I also want to go to the right place. I don't want to just be a pick and then um, they end up not liking me. I want to go to the right place, but like I said, um, being number one would be really special, and that's something something on top of my list. I want to go back to the NTP, NTDP for a second. I think half your roster's here, which is pretty unheard of for this kind of event. When you guys would go from either around the USHL or around the NCAA teams, did it feel like almost like a rolling scouting caravan because you know there's two dozen scouts watching you guys 
every night. And how did you sort of handle that pressure, both as a team and uh, individually? I think this is a high-power, high-octane NTDP team with, what, seven, eight first-rounders possibly, and hopefully 15, 16 kids drafted. So, I mean, this is uh, definitely one of the best NTDP teams that's gone through the program. So, I mean, I think we uh, – I wouldn't say pressure, but there was a lot of a lot of things building on us because uh, we had such a good team, 17 year and 18 year. We have a, we had a lot of highly touted kids. So, I mean, I think our uh, I think our team exceeded expectations and had a great year. With the way the NHL is changing, Jack, do you feel NHL team uh, GMs and scouts no longer second guess drafting smaller players? No, I mean you look at the uh, top six scores. I think it's Kucherov. Under under five eleven five ten, Kane McDavid, uh, Crosby Marchand, and you you look at the league and it's all about speed and skill now. I mean it's such a it's such a hard league, but if you have if you have high hockey IQ and you can skate and you can think, I mean that's all you really need. I don't think size is a big deal these days. I think it's uh, who's the smartest player, who's the quickest player, and uh, I think that translates well for me. So obviously you watched the draft lottery with everybody else. When you saw it was New Jersey, what's your reaction? Did it matter to you which team drafts you? Does it matter to you? And if it is New Jersey, what's what do you have to look forward to there? Um, I mean, yeah, I was there obviously. So at the time, I didn't really, I didn't really know what was going on because it happened so fast. So once the uh, final teams came out, Chicago, New York, and and New Jersey, you kind of start um, picturing yourself in certain jerseys certain scenarios but I mean I was really excited with uh, the Devils if it is if it does end up being them um, got a really good young core MVP of the league last year Taylor Hall plays there I know they have good fans they uh, they won three cups there back in the day so they're they're a winning franchise and uh, I mean I know they're hungry hungry to win more so I mean if it did end up being that I'd be really excited I don't know if New Jersey's gonna ask you this question or not but why should they take Jack Hughes with the number one pick? Um, like I said, I feel like my game translates the most. Um, my speed, my skill, I think that I'll be able to translate well. I mean, I believe in my heart I'm the best player in this draft and the best best player on the board. Um, and I mean, I'm a, I'm a confident kid, so I think that uh, I think that I had a great year, and I don't, I don't see why not. So Quinn gets drafted in the first round. You're going to be drafted maybe number one. Where does Luke stand in all this? The the youngest of the of the Hughes brothers is he the best? Is the <laughs> best yet to come? I think that Luke is better than Quinn at the same age. So uh, it's probably a lot of pressure building up for him with with me and Quinn coming through the pipeline. But uh, I mean, he's going to be another another uber talented prospect, I think, and uh, it'll be a really exciting to see where he goes. I like how you said Luke's better than Quinn at this age. You didn't say he's better than Jack at this age. You said he's better than... So we'll just we'll let the little trash yeah, talk slide by. You let by. that go, yeah. <laughs> um, what's the plan now, between now and, and the draft? What are you going to work on? What are you going to focus on? Um, For me, it's kind of just having fun, relaxing. I, I don't think I'm going to work out or skate. Like I said, I was in Europe for two, two months almost, um, just playing hockey, being dialed in, focused. So, I mean, now that, it's, now that the hockey season's over, I think I'll just... Uh, watch Stanley Cup Finals, golf, hang out with some friends. I think just be a kid for the last month and then uh, head up to Vancouver, and I think my life will change a lot, a lot once that weekend goes by. 
Now you're going to get to go to St. Louis for the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Is there anyone or anything you're looking to see there? Do you have a friend there? I knew uh, I know I know Robbie Thomas pretty well from uh, Quinn playing with him growing up. So I'll see him and then Charlie McAvoy. I'm kind of buddies with him, so I'll uh, be good to see him. He's a funny guy, so <laughs> <laughs> be funny to see what he has to say. Um, but I mean, like I said, it's. It'll be unreal. Like, I've never gone to a Stanley Cup game. Uh, the Bees versus the Blues, and Quinn told me that the St. Louis Blues rink is insane. The crowd's pretty crazy there. So um, I'm really excited to see a really good hockey game and see players like Pasternak, Marshawn, Bergeron, O'Reilly, some great players. So I'll be, I'll be really excited to see them firsthand. Do you feel as though right now at this stage in your career you are NHL-ready? You can go to a training camp, whichever team does draft you in September, prove to them that you can be a top two, top center. Yeah, I, I know in my head and my heart that I, uh, I'm an NHL player, and I think that after my last experience at Men's Worlds, uh, I think it solidified my mind that I'm ready to go for next year, and I, uh, I want to I be an impact player and, and come out of the gates fast. I want to put you on the spot a little bit with your NTTP teammates. You can take one of them. You get drafted, whatever. You can take one teammate with you to that NHL team. Who are you taking and why? I don't think I can say that on the air. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll get pissed at me if it's not them, so I don't think I'll say that. All right, I had to try. All right, one, <laughs> I one last one. Um, you mentioned Patrick Kane before uh, at the Worlds. Is he a guy that when you look at NHL players to pattern your game after or to take from your game, is he the guy or is there somebody else that you like to watch? Yeah, I think he is the guy. I mean, I love watching hockey. I love I love watching certain players, McDavid, Barzell. But I think Kaner's the guy that uh, I kind of focus on the most because I feel like I could be like him one day. And I know him well. He's a really good person. Uh, and then obviously his game speaks for himself. So, I mean, if I could be on that level one day, I think that'd be uh, I think that'd be unbelievable. And I mean, I got a lot of work to do, but that's that's a guy I want to learn from and one day be like. Thanks again to Jack Hughes for joining us on NHL Draft Class presented by Adidas. Now, when we spoke to Jack, he hadn't met with the New Jersey Devils yet. They have the number one pick. Mike, you were there when he came out of the room with the Devils. What was the interview like from Jack's perspective? Well, I can tell you, standing outside the room, door closed, there was a lot of laughter in there, Adam. I don't know what they were discussing, but I'm sure Ray Shiro was right in the mix there, maybe telling some funny things because uh, obviously he knows uh, Jack's father, Jim and wife Ellen, but I tell you, coming out of the room, he was all smiles, he seemed extremely happy, he was raring to go, uh, you know, I asked him, did he? Did they give you any hint, any suggestion that you will be the number one pick, and he says, no, he goes, they really gave me nothing, but he did have a smirk on his face, I will say that, um, so I think, you know, overall, he's real happy with the way the interviewing went, he spoke to all three of the top teams there, the Devils with the one pick, the Rangers with the two pick, and the Blackhawks with the three pick, um, he said the theme was that they just wanted to get to know him as a person, all three teams, uh, but it he, he really liked the way the, the Devils meeting went. So, you were here two years ago when it was the same situation, they talked to Nico Heischer, can you draw any similarities from what Nico went through with his interview with the Devils? versus what Jack went through with his interview with the Devils as far as, because we remember how tight-lipped Ray was on we're not going to let anybody know until we literally are standing on the stage at the draft to make the announcement. Anything similar, any kind of similar vibe on it? I could be eating my words here, but, you know, I, I really, 
I really think the vibe I have this year is that the Devils are going to take Jack. I just have that feeling when he was, you know, exiting the meeting room. I didn't have that feeling with Nico. Um, obviously, the Devils love Nico. They love what he brought to the table. The the questioning when Nico was in there was fantastic. Uh, you know, when he came out and was telling me some of the things they were asking him. Uh, but I kind of got the same vibe when Nolan Patrick visited uh, with the Devils, too, uh, that Nolan had a real nice meeting with the Devils. Obviously, we don't know what's going on in, with Kako since he's not here. But I don't know. I just, I just, I just think that Hughes is going to be the man here uh, for the Devils in the 2019 draft. Absolutely. It just, it, it comes down to, and this isn't a slight on Capo Kako. This isn't to say he's lesser of a player. But I think when you have the chance to add a franchise center, you do it. You don't hesitate, and it doesn't matter that you just added a franchise center two years prior and a center who maybe is on the small side, similar to Jack, you do it. And you don't hesitate because that is where championship teams are built, building through the middle. And yes, as great a winger as Kako could be, and he might be more NHL ready than Hughes at this point. We're talking a year from now, who has a better rookie NHL season? It might be Kako. However, long-term, I think Jack Hughes fills more of a need. I think he's got the better long-term upside with that in mind, to me, I don't want to say it's a no-brainer, but it's pretty close to being a no-brainer that it's Jack Hughes. You build down the middle of the ice. I mean, you could say from the goalie out as well, but down the middle of the, of the ice is big. And Ray Shiro has a history of that. He did it with, with Sid. He did it with Evgeny Malkin in Pittsburgh, Jordan Stahl. Um, and you, you can see it's almost beginning the same type of scenario here in Jersey. You get Nico Heischer at top center. You're going to get Jack Hughes here with the pick here, and they want to build. They want to build down the middle of the ice, and, and you can tell um, that, you know, for the, for the foreseeable future, I would imagine the Devils are going to be a very good opponent here, uh, you know, down the road. So Jack Hughes obviously is the star of the show, but he's not the only pick the New Jersey Devils are going to make. They have 10 in all, six in the first three rounds. So we caught up with Senior Director of Player Personnel for the New Jersey Devils, Dan McKinnon. Here's our conversation with him. All right, Dan, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, for our listeners out there, can you just describe your role with the Devils for the past three seasons and your actual role here at the NHL Scouting Combine? Sure. Uh, good to be here. Um, my role, Director of Player Personnel, I try to describe it as almost being a liaison between uh, Ray Shiro and Tom Fitzgerald, GM and Assistant GM, and the rest of our scouting operations, um, the pro scouting operations, which I head up, and then I work with Paul Castron and Gates Orlando um, to ensure that kind of our philosophy and strategy is being carried through the amateur scouting side in preparation for the draft every year. And what's the significance of the NHL scouting combine in your eyes, Dan? What is most important coming from the combine as far as the organization is concerned? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like the final chapter. You, you work all year, sort of the gun goes off in August, and you try to get as many viewings and then targeted viewings once you have your midwinter list together and meetings, discussions. Uh, we have these players fill out profiles, do some you know psychological evaluation. And, and so you have a pretty good idea how you feel about these guys before you get to the combines. And, and I should add that our area scouts around the world do a lot of heavy lifting as well, 
getting to know these players, interviewing the people close to them in their lives. And then we all sort of arrive here and we have some targeted questions. And Amy Kimball, our uh, performance coach, puts a lot of time into preparing what kind of questions we're going to ask these players. Maybe to tease out a little bit of what we're wondering about, a couple of the unknowns, if there are any, with these players. And I wouldn't say it moves the needle significantly in terms of our list order, but it's an important piece and it's the final piece. And sometimes it does make a difference. Dan, is the interview process really, you know, we're here for a week and and there's a lot that goes into it, the fitness testing and the medical testing, but the interview process, is that really the most important stuff for what you want to learn? Because you've watched these guys on video, like you said, you've seen them in person, you've seen them in video, you know what kind of hockey player they are. You know what kind of, you want to know what kind of person you're potentially bringing into your locker room. In terms of importance relative to the whole process, including like live viewings and well, well, just no, just in the week here at the combine, just getting the chance to meet the people, not so much the player, but to get to meet the person. Is that really the biggest takeaway for you guys? Yes, yeah. As far as the combines go here in this week, yeah, getting some one-on-one time with the player, knowing the questions we're going to ask, getting a better sense of the type of person they are, listening to how they talk about their background, their relationship with their parents, their siblings, their teammates. That's kind of the fun stuff, uh, getting to know them a little bit more personally. Now, I know some teams will ask sort of, I guess the, I guess the best word is, is wacky questions, like how, what's the longest river in Canada or, or something along that vein. And some teams just, they kind of like, let's just keep it, you know, hockey related. Are you, are you guys a team that'll kind of try to catch a guy off guard by asking something just completely like one kid said they asked him to sing or tell a joke? Will you guys do that or you guys just keep it sort of? you know, normal type questions. Yeah, I would say a lot of our questions are designed to to tease out uh, the competitive nature of the player. And, and Amy spends a lot of time researching the type of questions that she wants to ask. And even though there's not always a right or wrong answer, with enough of the questions asked and the answers put together, you're trying to get a better sense of the player's, you know, sort of inner competitive drive, what's inside. Obviously, a lot of talk leading up to this draft about possibly the top two picks in the draft, uh, Jack Hughes and Capo Caco. I know you've watched them both. You were at World Championships in Slovakia. You saw them both. Is there a unique difference between the two, Dan? They are they are different players, you know, stylistically. Um, you know, first and foremost, it's, it's an incredible year to be picking so high in the draft, one or two, I would say. Um, but, yeah, stylistically, they are different players. You're talking about one player who is a, just a – bonafide NHL power forward off the right side, left shot, whose game below the the faceoff circles in the offensive zone is as good as I've seen. Um, and then you've got another player who's just electric at the center position, carrying the mail through the neutral zone, seems to have total awareness of where everyone is on the ice in terms of distributing the puck, is an equal scoring threat, you know, shooting-wise. And just seems to be able to find a way to maneuver in and out of traffic uh, like very few players I've seen. Part of what a lot of what you guys do is you're projecting what these players are going to be like three, four or five years down the line when they're in the NHL. How much of an advantage is it for you guys to see that now to see Hughes and Kako or anybody who's draft eligible in the world championship where they're playing against with and against NHL guys? It's probably a two-part answer. On the one hand, you'll never turn down an opportunity to see young players step in with the men. Um, But on the other hand, you have to have some context. Um, I was at the World Championships, and I was at the under-18s. In the the world, you're talking about different scenarios 
Kako was a real driver on that Finnish team um, that just had a few NHLers, I believe, um, where Jack Hughes had the experience coming in and playing behind some real established NHLers on a strong U.S. squad and certainly didn't have the role that, you know, he had on that U18 team uh, a couple of weeks before where he was absolutely dominant and, you know, set international records. So you want to make your evaluations but do it with, with some sense of context. And I should add it, by the final game when the U.S. lost, I think Jack was, you know, their strongest offensive player. But it, it took him a while to sort of establish himself in that lineup. How, how dominant – is this national team development program this year? We could have as many as seven, eight players taken in the first round. Could be as many as 16 overall, 18. Is this as dominant an NTDP team that, that you've ever seen? It's, it's the best I've ever seen. Uh, the program goes back to a little bit before I started uh, scouting in 99-2000. In um, but it's the best I've ever seen. Uh, the, the depth and I'd say the upside for the sort of the top six, seven players in that team is, is special. Knowing what you know about Ray and you guys are in conversations all the time, is there any opportunity that maybe you would think about moving up for another pick in the first round after the top 10? I know getting a pick in the top 10 is very difficult, but knowing what these NTT players have to offer, and if, if a player like a Cole Caulfield keeps falling – is that an opportunity? Is there an opportunity there to maybe make uh, make a trade? You always look at those scenarios, and that's part of the preparation and the due diligence you have to do, and sort of knowing not just who you would like to acquire, but what teams are in that area, and in, you know if there would be a potential marriage. That said, it's very difficult to do um, moving up significantly into the first round rather than just you know a few spots is, is a tough thing to do, but not impossible. When you and, and the staff, the entire staff, the amateur staff get together and talk and you assess the overall depth of this draft, is there a position or a couple positions that stand out and say there are a lot of blue chip NHL caliber guys at X, at you know right shot D or, or at left wing or at center that, that really stands out? <laughs> Not to dodge the question, but it, it's across the board. Uh, last year, that first round, if you remember, was a little bit characterized by a number of sort of sub six foot offensive defensemen that uh, that went in the first round. I don't think that is a characteristic you could put on the first round this year, but there are still some really good defensemen. Seems to be more forward heavy in the top 10, certainly. Um, but then as you get through the mid part of the second round, there's a real attractive distribution of all positions. And, you know, one thing we've said to our ownership group, and we're excited to have these three picks in the second round, is that we believe the depth of this draft, at least through the first half of the second round and maybe beyond that, you could get a player who would likely be a first-round type player in a lot of other drafts. That's how good this draft is. Dan, are we, are we at a point right now in the NHL where general managers, scouts, will no longer second-guess when it comes to drafting smaller players? We are, and, and I always think there is – there's an overcorrection and then a correction again. And last year might have been the overcorrection. Um, and I think whether it's what we're seeing in the playoffs this year or just people realizing, you know what, um, some of the traditional attributes still matter. Uh, there's no question the league allows a smaller, more mobile, intelligent, skilled athlete to play and have success in it than it probably did 15 years ago. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that, you know, every skilled five foot ten defenseman can play in the NHL. And I think that 
that that's probably what's going to happen is is across the board there'll be a settling in that yes we transitioned away from sort of the big heavy you know defensemen of yesteryear that that could you know obstruct and shut other teams down to you know a better athlete someone more mobile it's a faster skating game but then i think there's also the counterpoint that wow there's still something to be said about you know a physically hockey strong player who can get to the inside and have success from the inside of the ice so i have another one about the ntdp so there's 17 of those kids here this week at the combine it's three quarters of the roster when you watch them or when guys on your staff watch them how hard is it to pick one guy to lock in on when there's so many standouts? And, and let's take Jack out of, the, out of the equation because he's he's in his own little universe. But with that rest of that group, how hard is it to find one of those guys to stand out? Because it can be a different guy each shift, each period, because there's so many top-end guys there. Great question. And ironically, I live in Plymouth, Michigan, where the program's based out of. And to your point, I would go to the rink some nights just – to focus on sort of three, four guys off that roster and, and not watch Jack Hughes, even though that was almost impossible, or Trevor Zegers or, you know, some of these other guys. Um, you really did try to focus. So you gave a, a kind of a proper evaluation to some other really good hockey players who were maybe slotted a little deeper in the lineup. And, and that's factored into our interviews here. Um, as everyone in this business knows with that program, um, it can be difficult sometimes for a third-line player to shine, even though he's a heck of a hockey player and in, in other environments, whether it's prep school or USHL or even major junior, might be able to create a little bit more of a pedestal for himself. Uh, at the program, you got to look a little harder to, to find the value, I think, sometimes when those guys aren't front-line stars. Can you give us an idea of what you're looking for in the draft? Uh, obviously, since you've been here, um, I would imagine compete, skill level that's important stuff but what kind of players maybe outside the first round mid second round are you looking for I mean we definitely have our profile and our criteria that for the most part we we adhere to and have have really preached to our scouting staff that you know what matters for you know Ray Shiro John Hines New Jersey Devils team is we want to draft players that are going to have the best chance to have success with the New Jersey Devils. And that may not necessarily be the case for 30 other teams in the league, but with us, there are certain demands of how we play and what we put on our players. And you've heard us use the terms before. You're right. Hockey sense, speed, uh, skill, compete is big, and, and being hockey strong and, and checking as many of those boxes as possible. That being said, in a draft where you have 10 picks, like a couple of years ago we had 11 picks, there is a little more room to maybe go off the board a little bit at a certain spot. If you think there's someone there with a special quality, uh, maybe missing a couple other things that might rise up in our environment with some development time, it's a bigger conversation than, say, we only had five picks going into the draft. Thanks to Dan McKinnon, Senior Director of Player Personnel for the New Jersey Devils, for joining us on NHL Draft Class presented by Adidas. Mike, what's your big takeaway from all of what Dan said? There was a lot there to take. I, I thought it was real interesting, uh, Dan coming on and, and what he had to say. I, I thought, you know, his answer to the question of uh, drafting smaller players was, was very interesting. I, I think in today's game, and we know this, Adam, we, you know, with all these smaller players having an impact on, on real good teams in the league right now, um, you can't overlook them. Um, and in the case of, of one being Cole Caulfield and what he was able to do with the national team development program this year, I think there may be teams uh, that maybe have two picks in the first round or maybe in the case of the Devils who have six picks over the first three rounds might look if Caulfield falls 
beyond the t- uh, you know the top ten there. Maybe they want to move back into the first round and take a pick. I thought it was interesting the way Dan mentioned how the these smaller players you can't overlook them. You know if they're if they're playing well and they're doing what they need to do, they're efficient. Then they're obviously players that can you know mature, grow, and develop in the minor leagues and eventually make the NHL like these other smaller players have. Look, there's always going to be a size bias. However, if you have a guy the ability, and we'll use Cole Caulfield as the example, if you have a guy who can score, and it's not like he just scored 70 goals against a bunch of 16-year-olds. He's playing as a 17, 18-year-old against college competition. So you're talking kids 21, 22, 23 years old even. He's producing against a higher level of competition. You you do it the world under 18s. He's producing against high-level competition. So I, I think while, yes, there's always going to be that size bias because that's just the name of the game, I don't think you could just ignore a guy just because he's five foot seven, five foot eight, whatever. Uh, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, Alex DeBrinkett, Patrick Kane, we've seen these guys who can produce at, you know, diminutive sizes. So I don't think it's it's an issue anymore. If a guy can play, a guy can play. And and let's go back to Jack Hughes for a minute. He intimidates, but he doesn't intimidate because he's six foot four or whatever. He intimidates because of the skill, the skating, the vision, the playmaking ability. So he's a he's an intimidating player in a different way. And I think Cole Caulfield is an intimidating player in a different way because of the way he sees the ice, his ability to find open holes in the offensive zone, his ability to just produce and put the puck in the net I don't know and you said devils want to move up can we really envision Cole Caulfield falling out of the top 10 no no you can't I mean he he, he's that exceptional a talent I think teams have learned their lesson Alex DeBrinkett was the number 39 pick a couple years ago and no way is Cole Caulfield going number 39 this year so um we will we will see where he lands, but I think it's going to be top ten, Adam. Um, and you know, one other note on Dan McKinnon, I thought it was interesting what he had mentioned. You had asked the, the question regarding the combine and you know what they get most out of the combine, and he mentioned the interviewing stage being a critical factor at the combine. Hey, the testing is there. You look at the results for what it for what they're worth, but it's the interviewing, getting to know the players, getting to know their families, and what they're about. I think more than that, anything else, like. It's roster development. You're not bringing you're bringing a good player, no matter who you select, into your room. You want to bring in a good person because invariably there's going to be ups and downs in a season. You want a guy who's going to stay the course and not be a drag when things go wrong. You want a guy who's going to be a positive influence in your locker room, and that's what you get. That's what you learn from meeting these kids in this environment. You're going to find out what kind of person they are because you all we all know they're good players. They've seen them enough in their junior teams, college teams, international, whatever. You know what kind of player they are inside and out. Now you want to know what kind of person they are because more than anything else, that's what you're going to have to deal with, the person. You're going to see the player in the games and practice, but you're going to be around the person, and that's what you want to make sure you're getting the right person for your team. Adam, it's been a tremendous week, and in addition to Hughes, we've spoken to so many other players, prospects here 104, in fact, that are here at the NHL Scouting Combine. Bowen Byram was a defenseman, most likely will be the first defenseman off the board uh, from Vancouver. Um, Left-handed D, you know, a really impressive player. Took Vancouver on his back, led the entire dub playoff uh, picture in scoring for a defenseman. That's unheard of. Um, I really like what this player brings. He said it was very disappointing to lose in seven games to Prince Albert, which, you know, of course, 
didn't win a game in a Memorial Cup, unfortunately. And I think when I asked when I asked uh, Bowen about that, he was a little disappointed, saying, you know, maybe next year the team representing the dub can can win a game because they haven't won a game in quite some time in the Memorial Cup. I, I think it's Kelowna when they in 2016. I think it was the last one. And I talked to Brett Leeson from Prince Albert, and he said, look, we we. We know we didn't play well. He says, I didn't play well. The team didn't play well. He said, we were just we, – we looked like a team with no energy because we had no energy. Long season, hard run through the Western League playoffs. Then they got to fly cross country to play in Halifax. He said, we just we just ran out of gas. It's unfortunate. We were very disappointed. But uh, one other guy that, that I enjoy talking to was Trevor Zegras. Um, one of the things I thought was fun, there's 17 guys from that NTTP program here. So – Three quarters of their roster. So I asked Zegers, if you could take one guy with you to the NHL, who would it be? And he said Spencer Knight, the goalie. He said, now obviously Spencer is who he is. He's the number one goalie prospect on the on the CHL's rank on the uh, Central Scouting final rankings. But I think part of it is there's only one other goalie. So if he's going to upset a teammate, it's only going to be one other teammate. And if he picks Jack Hughes and you know Boldy and Z, uh, Boldy and 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 Caulfield and all the other guys get upset. So I guess if he's only going to upset one guy, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a great choice. I thought it was real, you know, real quick. You know, he, you know Trevor Zegers is a guy that uh, he knows it's a talented team, and uh, obviously the goaltender is the most important player back there. So to choose Spencer who we feel is going to be a first-round pick here, Adam. I don't uh, think there's any question. Absolutely, and, and it could be in the top 15. Uh, you know, there's teams that you go through and you look and, and immediately you think the Florida Panthers that could use a young goaltending prospect. So I, I think if, if anybody – it's hard. To, teams seem to not want to take goalies in the first round, but if you're going to take one in this year's draft, it's going to be Spencer Knight. He is a unique talent, just the athleticism, the intelligence, and the approach – he could he checks a lot of boxes for teams that are looking for goalies. Yep, set the all-time record two years uh, in wins and victories for the NTTP and, and had 32 wins this season. Um, and you know, overall, it was a great exp- you know great experience for us to be here to talk to these prospects. And I think you know down the road when we see the testing and what happens with the testing, that's going to be interesting as well. And then we're looking forward to the NHL draft in Vancouver. That's going to do it for NHL draft class presented by Adidas. Note, you can find all of our copy on NHL.com, but you can subscribe to NHL Draft Class for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us at NHL.com slash podcasts. And a reminder to check out NHL Executive Suite, NHL Fantasy on Ice, and the great one-on-one hosted by Wayne Gretzky. Tremendous stuff from Gretzky and all of his guests. For Mike Morial. Thank you very much, Adam. It's been a pleasure. I'm Adam Kimmelman. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to rate and review. Until next week, NHL Draft Class presented by Adidas is dismissed. Dismissed.